Race to Walk Podcast, Episode 32. Welcome to the Raise to Walk Podcast, where we're walking out the life of faith. Romans 6, verse 4 reads, As Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And this show is designed to help you do just that. Now here's your host, Carla Alvarez. Thanks for joining me. And today I am reviewing the book Supernatural by Dr. Michael Heiser. I absolutely love this book and I hope this review will spark your interest to read it for yourself. Buy several copies. I hardly ever have one on hand because I keep giving mine away. So we know of the Bible as a story of God's plan of salvation for mankind. From the first page to the last, we see that he had the end in mind from the very beginning. However, most of the time, we see just two parties to the story, the triune God and mankind, those inhabitants of the third heaven and the first. However, there is another group that plays a role, the divine council, part of the group referenced in Ephesians 6.12, which refers to the unseen realm ruled by principalities two of which are named in a brief reference in Daniel chapter 9. There are a few explicit references to these beings in the Bible, along with many references that are implicit. Without understanding that, yes, there is an actual unseen realm and a variety of beings who inhabit it, and that some of the words spoken in the Bible are judgments against them, we can completely miss the context of what certain passages are saying. Dr. Michael Heiser has made an extensive study of the Divine Council. An expert in ancient Near East languages, he has collected over 4,800 references related to it. This 168-page book is a synthesis of those resources and gives an overview of the structure and dynamics of the conflict from Genesis to Revelation. The book reminds me of Mere Christianity, But while Lewis began at square one, beginning with a defense that there must be a God and then follows with arguments as to why the Christian God rings true in every area, this book is written for a Christian audience. Heiser assumes that the reader believes in God and that Christ is a redeemer of mankind. However, be prepared to check every other assumption you have regarding the makeup of of the heavens at the door. I'll admit, when I first came across his blog, drmsh.com, I read about the Divine Council and it was uncomfortable. It didn't fit with what I had been taught in Sunday school, Bible study, or church. But having that information, when I read through the Bible, there were passages that opened up to me. There was significance where before it had been just words. The book begins with a question, do you really believe what the Bible says? The chapter continues to point out that while as Christians we profess to believe in a God creator and redeemer who is outside of space and time, very often we act like confirmed skeptics when it comes to supernatural accounts in the Bible. We skip over the parts that are hard and make us uncomfortable or don't fit within the worldview we've created. So this is what the book covers. It explains the makeup of the heavenly government of God the heads of which were 70 heavenly beings or principalities which were assigned people groups at the dispersion of the Tower of Babel, as told in Deuteronomy 32 verse 8. 
There is a whole other layer to the salvation plan, and it was this group, this council, that Jesus is made Lord of all, the name above all other names. This is a government that he is Lord of, which he won through victory at the cross. It explains who the Bible is referring to when the word Elohim is used. It answers questions about those weird verses referring to the Nephilim and the Watchers. It explains our purpose as God's imagers. It talks about free will, God's will, destiny, and our purpose. It gives a fuller picture of what is truly going on, the battleground in two realms. It explains how the celestial interacts with the terrestrial. It explains the purpose of the law. I think when we as Christians read the Old Testament, we get hung up on all the sacrifices and completely miss that the way to salvation has always, from first to last, been through faith in the Redeemer, God's salvation, Yeshua. It also explains the truly demonically inspired effort to eradicate both the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. It explains what sacred ground means and what the purpose of all those animals sacrificed. It ties in seemingly unrelated conflicts in the Bible and illustrates how they are part of the same battle. It gives a reason for the bits and pieces of the plan and the picture of the Messiah in the Old Testament and explains why the message was so cryptic. It gives a different perspective than most on the confrontation between Jesus and Satan and what Jesus was really doing in sending out the twelve and then the seventy. It explains the second temple understanding of some of the names of God and descriptors and explains why Caiaphas had such a violent reaction when Jesus said, You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. It explains the meaning of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit gave not just gifts but was equipping for war. It explains who we are as believers. It explains our position in God's family. It explains what is to come. I grew up in church and even went to a private Christian school for a number of years. I thought I knew the stories and understood it. Then I started reading through the Bible for myself, and I realized how much I didn't know and how much I had been taught that really didn't line up with what the Bible said. Then when you start learning the details of what was going on at the time the words were written and the context in which the writers wrote, read it in that light, most of the time you have to readjust your understanding of it. So who should read this book? If you or someone you know is struggling with how it all fits, this is a good book to read. For a new believer, it's a good framework for beginning to fill in the pieces. Certain things will make more sense when they read the Bible. I'm guessing the more churched someone is and the more doctrines they are versed in, the more resistance they will have to the information presented in the book. If you or someone you know is into spiritual warfare, some present it as warring against territorial spirits and taking territory, read this book. Then read Needless Casualties of War by John Paul Jackson. And then go read Daniel chapter 9 and pay attention to what Daniel was doing when the angel appeared to him and when Michael was battling the prince of Persia. All we are supposed to be doing is 2 Chronicles 7.14 and James chapter 4 verse 7. That's it. 
If you or someone you know is a Christian but is caught up in UFO religions or reptilian bloodline conspiracy theories, bless your heart and read this book. If you or someone you know has been following the teachings that use Psalms 82 um, verse 6, which states, Ye are gods, you are children of the Most High, applying it to humans and then using it as a springboard to all sorts of weird, almost heretical doctrine, read this book. This verse has been used by a lot of people in a lot of different ways. For example, Bill Johnson and Kenneth Hagin and their understanding of kenosis and what actually happened in Christ's death and resurrection. Rabbinic commentary has used it as a justification for make Israel a savior and suffering servant rather than trusting in God alone a savior. And in reading three treatises on divine images recently, I discovered that that misinterpretation was a cornerstone of John of Damascus' defense of icons and justification of venerating saints as gods. Even C.S. Lewis falls into the same misinterpretation in mere Christianity. So, what was my big takeaway? In discussion on another review on this book, someone asked me if I really learned anything new. Let me tell you, yes, I did. As I've read through the Bible, particularly the Psalms, the continual reference to Agabashan and the bulls of Bashan always made me wonder, what does that mean? I knew there was significance to it, but I could not figure out what it was. I would enter different search phrases in search engines to try to find articles that discussed it. Nothing. Then I was reading through this book, and lo and behold, chapter 9, Holy War, page 92, it explains exactly why Bashan was significant. And this is a quote from it. In ancient literature outside the Bible, Bashan was known as the place of the serpent. Two of its major cities, Ashtaroth and Edri, both mentioned in connection with this journey, were considered gateways to the underworld realm of the dead. In the context of Israel's supernatural worldview, God had led the Israelites to the gates of hell. So anytime David mentions Agabashan in the Psalms, he is saying the exact same thing Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So here are a few criticisms of the book. One of the other comments in a review criticized the book for its lack of references. And this is a valid criticism. This book, as it states in the introduction, is a greatly condensed version of the Unseen Realm, which is a much longer and heavily cited academic version. I do agree that sources would have been good, and I'm not sure why they decided to leave them out. My guess is that when you are taking information from such a huge amount of sources, I mentioned above his library on the Divine Council contains over 4,800 sources, and then process and condense it down to such a small book, a lot of this is synthesized information which would probably be hard to cite one source specifically. The second criticism, and this is mine, is, is uh, shared information between the Godhead. So in chapter 3, verse uh, page 28, Heiser makes the claim that the us in Genesis 1.26, which says, let us make man in, in our own image, is not a conversation between the persons of the Trinity, but to other members of the divine council. His reasoning is this. God announced his intention to a group. 
Who's he talking to? His heavenly host, his council. He's not talking to the other members of the Trinity because God can't know something they don't. And here the group he's addressing learns what God has decided to do. So could he have been talking to the divine council with the statement? Yes, it's possible. However, it's not proof of it. It could also be another example of the conversation between the Godhead, such as, for example, Psalms 110 verse 1, which states, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool under your feet. This is very obviously a conversation between the Father and the Son. And yes, God can know something that the others don't. Jesus himself said it was so in Matthew chapter 24 verse 36 and Mark chapter 13 verse 32, when he said that only the Father knows the day and the hour of his return. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. There were a few little things here and there that I didn't necessarily agree with his interpretation on some scriptures, but they mainly had to do with layers of scripture. When I initially reviewed this book on Amazon, the one thing that did bother me was in the very beginning of the book, page 19, he made what seemed to be a sort of dismissive statement saying that demons had more important things to do than to bother with us. And this is what it reads. And while the Bible describes demonic possession in rightfully awful ways, intelligent evil has more sinister things to do than to make sock puppets out of people. And on top of that, angels and demons are minor players. In my initial reading, I took this to mean he was saying that it wasn't something Christians need to be concerned with because they have better things to do than to be concerned with us. It was the one part of the book that bothered me and I strongly disagreed with. However, in a follow-up comment to my Amazon review, a student of Heiser's clarified the statement and his actual position. When Heiser refers to intelligent evil in the quote that I just mentioned, he is referring to the principalities that make up the divine council and the powers and rulers referred to in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. In the hierarchy of the supernatural realm, angels and demons are minor players. I would just say that minor players can still cause some major problems in the lives of believers. Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. As John chapter 10 verse 10. So yes, they are coming to us. Peter reinforces this in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 when he says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Who is Peter talking to? Believers. He is telling us to watch out. That this is something we will be dealing with. And then in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 12, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I didn't understand the reality of this until a few years ago when I volunteered in a prayer ministry. Someone came for prayer with severe head and neck pain, which she had been suffering from for 16 months. She had been to numerous doctors, and none of them could do anything for her. 
when she came, she said she had gotten to the point where she told God, either take me or heal me, because she couldn't bear the extreme continuous pain anymore. She was almost to the point of suicide. The first time she came, she had a little bit of relief, so she came back again. The second time, the people praying with her recognized there was some sort of demonic activity going on and were praying against it. Her pain shot through the roof. They asked her what was going on, and she said, I can see a black-faced demon clawing at me, trying to get me. That shattered anything I thought I knew about the interaction between the demonic and Christians. When your theology becomes reality, sometimes it's a little freaky. It's a very real thing. If you would like to read a more vivid illustration, I recommend The Spirit of the Rainforest by Mark Andrew Ritchie. For links to buy this book online and for other resources mentioned in this episode, visit raisedtowalk.org p32. Now let's end with a prayer. Father, thank you so much for giving us understanding and for giving us eyes that see. We ask that you give us increased understanding and knowledge of the unseen world so that we can be prepared and better equipped to war against it. Thank you for your love and protection. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been enjoying the Raise to Walk episodes, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We also love to get feedback from our listeners, so tell us what you think by either rating or reviewing us on iTunes or Stitcher, or by sending us an email at contact at raisetowalk.org. Thanks for listening to the Raise to Walk podcast. We'd love for you to continue to walk with us, so head over to raisedtowalk.org news to get free updates. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you next time.